1: This is your daily real estate syndication show. I am your host, Whitney Sewell. Today with me, which you have heard on the show before, or you should have if you have been listening at any time at all, is my business partner, Sam Rust. Welcome, Sam. Happy to be here, Whitney. Excited for today's show. Yeah, I am as well. Also, you should have heard that we've been asking for feedback and asking that you go over to the website and sign up on the podcast page. You can sign up for a free gift there as well as we celebrate the 1000th show. But one thing that people have been requesting is some more information about LifeBridge Capital specific deals and some things that Sam and I have been working on. And that's exactly something we want to talk about today. And there's been many shows recently about this subject, but not about LifeBridge Capital specifically. And what we want to discuss today, Sam and I, is really just a fund model versus a single asset syndication and some things that we're considering here at LifeBridge Capital. Sam, what about a fund? Any thoughts on you know, single asset fund versus multi-asset fund that you want to share? Just right off the bat, I want us to just break down some basic things about a fund before we get into Lifebridge Capital specifically.
0: Certainly. So going back in our history, Whitney, for investors, this is nothing new, but we've only promoted single asset entities. So we'll identify a property, we'll go out, put it under contract, and then bring that before our investor pool. We're starting to make a move towards a fund model where we're lumping multiple assets together. And there's some good reasons for that that really are beneficial for our limited partners, for those investors that are joining us in these deals. First, the biggest one is risk mitigation. By spreading your money around between a couple of different deals, so investing in a fund and then that fund going and investing in a number of deals we're targeting in LifeBridge Capital Fund 1 between 4 and 8 deals, you're spreading your capital dollars across multiple deals. And while we've been fortunate to have all of our deals perform, even during COVID, there's certainly something to be said for managing your risk profile, spreading out your investment across multiple assets, and then possibly even across different subsets within the multifamily group, which we'll get into more details as we go along.
1: In case you are new to the fund model or even syndication that word often people do not know what that means, but oftentimes we're talking about a single deal that you would be investing in as the investor, as a passive investor, a limited partner. So you know that project, you are investing all your capital into that one project. And what Sam was talking about here is what we would call like a multiple property strategy where that same investment then is going to be spread across. Loss, numerous properties. So you receive possibly geographical diversification, but also cash flow diversification too, which I think is what Sam's referring to here.
0: Yeah. Another aspect where a fund is really helpful is when we're negotiating on deals. It's no secret in the broker seller communities that syndicators are a little bit of the redheaded stepchild when it comes to being awarded deals, particularly those syndicators who wait to raise the capital until the deal is under contract. Right now there's so much capital floating through the markets, and We were fortunate in 2020 To really win a good number of deals that we were chasing, because there was fear in the marketplace, there was uncertainty because of COVID and a decent percentage of capital was sitting on the sidelines waiting for clarity. Well, that clarity came, I would say probably January, February of 21. And we're seeing a lot more bigger private equity groups that can stroke a $50 million check all cash to close properties. And so if you're a seller and you're presented with two very competitive offers on price and terms but one of them is a group that has to raise the capital and the other is showing you their bank account that has 50 million in it. It's a pretty easy choice with who to go. But we've been left at the altar, so to speak, many times through the first half of 2021 because of that, because we've been very competitive on price, our terms were good, but there simply just wasn't that trust factor that we could go out and raise the capital. Even though returning investors know our deals tend to sell out pretty quickly. So we want to flip that back in our favor you know one of the advantages of investing in a smaller firm like lifebridge capital is our flexibility we can respond to changing market conditions a lot faster than maybe some of our bigger private equity brothers by raising this stack of capital up front that's going to allow us a lot of flexibility when we get to the negotiating table it'll level the playing field And result in us, I believe, winning more deals, even at possibly lower prices than we would otherwise have to pay, because there's not going to be that stigma attached with not having the capital fully discretionary.
1: No doubt about it. And I'll talk often on the show about, or I get this question from investors, you know, what should I know before I invest? And I always say, you know what, the operator's character is something that is of utmost importance. You're investing in that first and foremost. But in a fund like this, you're investing in the fund criteria as much as anything, and that's what the investors are seeing up front. Often they don't know the deals, but that's something that Sam and I have, have remedied to some point in what we call a seed deal, which we'll talk about a little bit in a moment. But the criteria of a fund, Sam, you know, what are some different things that you think about when you think about like the criteria of a fund that an investor needs to know before they're investing in a multi-asset fund like this?
0: Well, I think you need to know what kind of assets is the fund going to be chasing, first and foremost. Again, if you're a returning LifeBridge investor, You've seen us push a number of value add deals over the last three years or so, both in Colorado Springs and in the Boise, Idaho, MSA. So to kind of refresh on our macro strategy at LifeBridge Capital, since we're talking about this, we generally focus on Rocky Mountain metropolitan areas. Our broad investment thesis is that people are moving in from the coast and they want a high quality of life. They want maybe a little lower cost of living. They want to live in a governmental area or a state where there's not as much regulatory burden. So California is out, maybe Oregon, Washington, both are pretty anti-business when it comes to some regulations. And so states like Idaho, Colorado, Utah, all very tech-friendly, crypto-friendly, and just generally friendly to business. And so we want to take advantage of those demographic trends that we believe are going to cause these states to grow faster than the national average over the next 5 to 10 years and buy value-add deals in those spaces. So you've seen those value-add deals. You've also seen us pivot slightly in 2021 and push out a couple of development deals. We've got 3 development deals right now that are either under construction or we own the land and we're getting ready to begin construction all of those are in the Boise MSA. We really believe in the Boise market. The numbers from an economic and growth standpoint are just staggering. Single-family homes are up 40% year-over-year. Rent is up 15% year-over-year. Occupancy is at all-time highs, pushing 99%. And as a result, it's been pretty challenging to find anybody willing to sell existing product. Cost of land is still pretty low. We have good connections in that area. My family lives in that area, have a lot of connections there. And generally, we believe that the Boise MSA is probably a top three market for development right now across the entire country. And so while there's a little bit more risk, certainly inherent with development, there's also significant upside. And so our investment criteria in this fund is we want to mix about a third of the capital that's raised will go towards development. No more than a third. It may be less than that. And two thirds is going to go to value add deals. And so by blending a little bit within multifamily specifically, some value adds, some development projects. We believe we're raising the floor. And so we're pushing off some of the risk that's inherent with development by limiting the scope within the fund. But we're also exposing ourselves to greater upside because we already have a seed development deal, El Monterey, which will be a 76-unit townhome-style for-rent product. We're really excited about that deal. We've actually already bought the property. And then we're going to bring in the fund and complete the capital required to go ahead with construction. But generally speaking, we're looking at much higher returns on a development deal, even with pretty conservative underwriting. So we want to provide that unique strategy to our investors as a way to continue to generate above average returns relative to the marketplace.
1: You know, often, Sam, a big holdup too for a fund is, you know, people say, well, blind fund or some investors will say, oh, I don't like that. I don't know the project or I don't know the exact deal or the market. And that's one thing I love about this and where we already have some projects under contract that we call like a seed deal. So investors will know first project or two as they are committing to invest in the fund. I know you mentioned El Monterey. Anything else about the projects specifically that we have under contract you'd like to share at the moment?
0: Yeah, so we've outlined El Monterey, that development deal that's nearing breaking ground. I would say in the next six weeks or so, we've also got a value add deal under contract. Uh, we're calling it the Vale Valley portfolio. It's about 140 units split between a couple properties in a couple of towns just west of Vale, near the Summit County Airport in Eagle and gypsum. We're really excited about this value add deal. It's relatively newer construction. One of the assets was built in 2017. The other one was finished in 1999. But real unique deal in a really high-priced submarket, and with a lot of rent restrictions. And we managed to pick up some of the only properties in the entire county that don't have either some form of income restriction or deed restriction, i.e. the tenants have to work in Summit or Eagle Counties. And so by buying into these projects, we believe they're going to position really well for folks who want to work remote, who want to live close to where they play, looking for that different quality of life, wanting to get out of the downtown Denver core and willing to pay to live that different lifestyle. These properties have been almost 100% occupied through COVID and even going back to 2019, they've got very strong history It's more of an operational play. And so value add, there's a lot of different flavors. We've done a little bit of everything. We've done heavy value add. We've done light value add, a lot of 70s product here at LifeBridge Capital. These are a little bit newer and they were ran by a mom and pop property management operation, kind of a one-man band. We're going to bring our partners from Colorado Springs and Denver up to the mountain area and really bring those best-in-class practices that's going to allow us to push rents, drop expenses... And generally get into an asset that's going to cash flow very well right from the start. So very excited about the two opportunities that we've identified at El Monterey on the development side and the Vale Valley portfolio on the value add side.
1: Now, you know, something else, Sam, I think that's important if some investors have questions about is our team and who's managing the projects, things like that. And I think one thing we've done well at LifeRidge Capital, or we've worked really hard at, I should say, is finding just Class A talent, whether it's an assistant to now even an asset manager, you know, somebody that we're bringing on board that just has that skill set and talent to help us move forward very strongly as we grow, and especially moving into operating a fund and numerous assets, again, that we're adding to our portfolio. But one other component to that is our property management team and partnership who I think are extremely qualified. We've had great success with and understand these markets. They've been in the market for 30 years. But anything you want to highlight about our property management team and just the management system that we have in place?
0: Yeah, we have some of the best partners in the industry, I believe. Our strategy is generally to look for locally owned groups that have a significant presence in their markets locally owned because they know the area. They're close. They have boots on the ground. Ownership is in the market. They've got a long-term experience in that marketplace. So Table Rock Residential out of Boise, Idaho. Owners have been in property management for 25 years, live in the Boise area, and have many years of experience managing in the Boise area. Table Rock has actually grown pretty significantly since we started with them just a year ago. They're now the largest multifamily specific property management firm in that MSA, they've performed outstanding for us. And then Dunmire Property Management manages all of our assets in Colorado. Crystal and her team have been in business for over 30 years tons of experience in that marketplace. They know how to get apartments leased. They know how to turn apartments efficiently. And the wealth of knowledge, both from Table Rock and Dunmire, has been critical to our success. One of the areas that I'm really excited about us growing in is our asset management. Uh, you know, For investors, it's myself. For acquisitions and asset management, there's a lot to manage, especially as we're getting ready to raise this fund. And we're going to have more capital to place. And we're chasing quite a few deals right now. So we're really excited to announce that Clay Allen has joined our team as a asset manager. Clay brings 20 years of experience working for GE Capital and Harbor Group, among others, specifically in asset management. And, and there's a little bit of nuance there. Property management and asset management are not the same thing. The property manager is on-site dealing with the day-to-day in charge of leasing and all of those things. The asset manager is in charge of managing that manager. And making sure that the milestones are being reached, that pro formas are being met or above, and that expenses are being tracked. All the granular details of managing a property really flow up to your property manager. And then that asset manager is just another layer of oversight. So I'm really excited that Clay's joined our team brings that wealth of experience, and is going to free up some of my time to go and focus more on the acquisition side, which is going to be vital over the next six months.
1: So, also, Sam, often you know, investors say, well, "What do I expect after I sign up, or I commit, or I invest?" I want us to get into that a little bit. Anything else about the fund specifically you want to share with our investors and with new investors before we move into that?
0: Yeah, I might just highlight our return structure. Generally speaking, it's going to be very familiar for those of you who have invested in past LifeBridge deals. We're offering seven percent pref with minimal fees. We're going in with an acquisition fee and asset management fee overall we're putting in only one hurdle. And that's a little bit of a change. You'll see a lot of syndication groups that push out deals with an IRR-based hurdle. The issue with an IRR-based hurdle is that it's got a component of time. And so the longer you hold a deal, the more incentivized the sponsor is to sell because that IRR hurdle keeps pushing out. And so because we're targeting newer deals with our development side of the pipeline... We didn't want to incentivize to sell those deals off. We believe that those deals are going to be great long term holds for us. They're going to provide awesome cash flow. We're going to be able to refinance them pretty early on and be able to return capital. And so we're introducing an equity multiple hurdle. So this fund is set up to be a 10-year fund. There will be limited redemption rights along the way, but our hurdle doesn't kick in and change the splits from 70-30 to 50-50 until we generate a 3x on your equity. So if you invest 100,000, the split stay at 70, 30, or whatever your entrance was until we get to a $300,000 net return. So that includes a return of capital and then $200,000 of gain on that original 100K. And then anything above that would be split 50-50. We believe that that aligns our interests as the GP more with the interests of the limited partners.
1: Now, I appreciate you going into that. I get that question often as well. And often though, after somebody invests, they do not know what to expect, especially if they're new to that terminology of syndication or fund, or maybe they've just been investing in the stock market or a REIT or something like that. So a little different. But after they invest in a fund like this, Sam... Obviously, we're going to have different types of projects. We have development, obviously, that are going to be in there. It won't be cash flowing right away, any kind of preferred return, but property has to be cash flowing for an investor to receive a preferred return, right? And so developments are obviously not cash flowing right away, but we're going to value add projects that are. You know, what about distributions, how quickly, and obviously we do monthly distributions, monthly updates, detailed updates to investors on a monthly basis about every project, but As far as expecting that distribution on a monthly basis, you know, when should they see that and, you know, how does that work?
0: Yeah. So we at LifeBridge Capital believe in really strong communication and in giving distributions on a monthly basis. We've got the systems in place through our software portal, Investnext, to facilitate that in a way that doesn't take a ton of our time. But we really want to prioritize communication. Part of that is just seeing checks every month or at least deposits, hopefully ACH. But we are going to be offering monthly distributions in this fund. Those distributions will begin accruing in January of 2022. So here we are in late July 21. We're giving ourselves five months to get either projects closed or more additional projects under contract. And then that preferred return will begin accruing January 1st. First payments will likely occur in late January to mid-February. And then we'll be recurring monthly after that. And so excited about that with the Vale Valley portfolio coming in. We'll have that definitely closed by the end of the year. Right now, we're targeting roughly September as our close date. You know, we'll begin accruing cash flow immediately, and that will help make sure that we can start paying off against that prep. And then obviously, development deals will, our first deal, El Monterey, should finish construction. Q2 of 2022 and should be stable by the end of summer 2022 and will be a significant additive to the fund as well. So we're searching hard for more value-add deals. We are bidding on some as we speak. I'm touring more properties today. Really excited about the deals that are on our horizon and looking forward to being very competitive in those offerings and landing some more deals that will hopefully close before the end of the year.
1: And one more thing I wanted to highlight, and I know after just talking to really thousands of investors now, something that's important is just the flexibility and more and more wanting just cash flow longer. And the original model of syndication or often over the past recent many years has been that, you know, say three to five-year hold in 010, Sam mentioned, you know, 10 year hold and something I like is just the flexibility and something Sam and I want is just if we need to be able to hold longer, we want to just cash flow longer and not be made to sell. He mentioned that obviously about the hurdles and whatnot as well. But just not knowing what the tax implications are going to be or how that's going to change. We want options. We want to, you know, instill those options now so we can do the best thing for our investors long term. One other thing I wanted to mention is that it is a 506C fund. That doesn't mean we can't advertise it. We can talk about it on the show and other places, just in case anyone is wondering, because typically you cannot talk about many types of deals or 506B funds publicly. So Sam, anything else about our fund specifically that you thought of or that you want our investors and future investors of ours to know?
0: There's definitely tax implications for investing in real estate. There's a lot of folks that pay very close attention, including you and I. And so those of you who have invested in past LBC deals, you're used to seeing some decent depreciation losses on your K-1, even the cash flows net to your bank account are actually positive. In the fund funnel, you're going to continue to see those depreciation benefits accrue up. They'll be a little bit slower to accrue because of the development piece, but we will run cost segregation studies on all our properties as we have before. And once our development deals get their final CFO, we can run a cost segregation study and run it that way. There's also some really interesting tax benefits for green development. So not tax deductions, but actual tax credits. We're exploring those. We're going to take advantage of those and pass those benefits on as As well. So that will be the same as with past deals. And something that I wanted to make sure we highlight because that's something that a lot of investors care about.
1: Nice. One other thing I thought of is that often I get this question too is, you know, are we investing in the deal? I want anyone that's listening or contemplating investing with us to know that Sam and I personally invest in every project, and almost probably everyone on the general partnership team usually invests in a big way in these deals because we personally believe in them, in the projects, and believe in that alignment of interest with our investors as well. And so just know that, hey, we're in there with you and we believe in the projects, or else we would not be pursuing them in the first place. All right, Sam. Well, amazing show talking about a fund talking about our fund at Lifebridge Capital grateful to to see our growth and just the talent you know we're putting on the team and the lord has definitely blessed lifebridge capital in a big way just to the listener if you are interested in investing in real estate and wanting to know more about the lifebridge capital fund you obviously you can go to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up You can go to invest with us right at the top and we will get you started immediately. So our team will reach out and you are welcome to also reach out to Samurai and if you have any questions in any way. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge
0: Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital.